0: Well, guess what? It's time for .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. I'm your host in New London, Connecticut, Carl Franklin. As always, in Alabama tonight, Mark Dunn.
1: That's right. Once again in Alabama. Down in Alabama. That's right. Down south. So, uh, what's new, man? Oh, uh, not much. I'm uh, down doing one of the two-day .NET seminars here in Alabama. Very cool. weather's been beautiful today.
0: Excellent excellent weather has sucked here over Memorial Day weekend absolutely horrible rain cold rain no snow but you know rain's bad enough didn't get to see any parades because it was raining too hard which kind of blows
1: that's amazing you know the weather was excellent uh when I was up there and I was just up there I guess Monday through Wednesday
0: you're in Hartford yeah I was up in Hartford yep yeah oh it's fine it was beautiful today But uh, unfortunately, it didn't hold out. That's the thing about New England. You know, the weather kind of stinks.
1: So did you do anything special to uh, celebrate Memorial Day?
0: Yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. I went over to my brother's house and uh, got together with a fam. Got all the kids together. Uh, Between my brother and I, we have five. And they're all sort of in the same, you know, within the same eight-year span. So they get along. And, uh, you know, put some chicken on the barbecue and had a good time it was uh we got to talk shop a little bit he's a java developer unfortunately working at a company that uh where the the top people are beginning to panic about results and uh, he was telling me some stories he's getting a little nervous the top guys like wanting to well first of all they don't have an architecture team then we don't have time for that just write the code (laughs) And,
1: <laughs> yep, we've all been there before. Yeah,
0: and secondly, you know, he's thinking that, you know, here are the requirements, okay, a week goes by. Hey, how come there's nothing, how come there's no, no code? Well, we've been doing this, 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 and that, and the other thing. Oh, that's good. You know, he's sort of freaking out, walking around, and, you know, just I think he's, we think he's getting pressure from the top yeah. to produce.
1: Well, why didn't he, uh, you know, leave the evil world of Java and jump over to .NET?
0: Well, he's, my brother is, uh, you know, he's a, a career guy. He needs a, a steady salary. You know, he's got three kids and a budget and uh, not entrepreneurial like myself. Um, so he's got to have, he likes the steadiness of that salary job, and uh, which is okay, you know. But So he's not about to bail unless, of course... Uh, he just can't take it anymore. Right. And find something better, but you know, he feels lucky to have a job in this economy.
1: Yeah, and that's that's actually a good point. I mean, things have have been bad. I you know, I'm really starting to see the the training industry turn around now.
0: Yeah. But, I it mean, really you're you not
1: seeing the same thing.
0: I have uh, in in our company, we really took off this year. Uh, we we've, we've been doing a lot of training. Um, which is interesting. A lot, a lot more people have been paying uh, out of their own pocket, though.
1: Yeah, I've seen that as well. Hmm. A lot of walk-in students.
0: Yeah, we actually had—I think it was for the month of uh, May or April. I think it was the month of April. We had a class here, and we offered uh, half price for unemployed people, and you know, three or four people took us up on it. So we got a lot of good feedback from that.
1: Yeah, and that's that's a great thing to do.
0: And we may do that again in the future, but we'll see.
1: So who's on the agenda tonight, Carl?
0: You know, tonight uh, is a really exciting guest. I enjoyed immensely the last time he was on. And so many things have changed in this world and in his world since he was on before. Um, He now works for Microsoft and I'm sure has lots of things to say about the
1: future. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, this is a setup. (laughs) Uh, uh,
0: uh, Hey, Chris, what's up?
2: Hey, Carl, how are (laughs) you?
0: I'm laughing because, you know, in your email when I asked you if you'd like to be a guest again, you said, okay, but don't ask me anything about the future. (laughs) And I said, okay, so maybe we could talk about this. And you said, yeah, that'd be cool, but don't ask me anything about the future.
2: Well, the reason I said that was because my first ever talk as a Microsoft employee, I just went expecting to talk about the present, and the, those people knew almost everything about the present. It took me like 20 minutes to find a topic they didn't already know inside and out. <laughs> and then at the end, of course, they did exactly what I would have done had I been in their shoes. Right? They raised their hands and you said, what can you tell me about blah, 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 you know, V.next.
0: You must feel like Colin Powell at a press conference. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, you know, I just, having never given a talk as a Microsoft employee before, I didn't see that coming. Right. You know, when, when I did it, when people asked me those questions as a contractor, I could just say, I don't know, I don't work at Microsoft. But <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> work anymore, right? I can't say, give that answer anymore.
1: Well I'm yeah. sure you don't want to say I know but I can't tell you. You've got to look well, yeah, around. I mean I somehow. can't say
2: that. I mean and I want you know, I, I have a fragile ego like all public speakers. Right? I want them to like me. So I wanted to answer all of their questions. And I you know, idiot that I was, I didn't even clear with it happened to be a WinForms talk. And they're asking about the next version of WinForms. And I didn't I know the guys in the WinForms team. I could have went and asked, Hey, what can I say about WinForms, you know, V dot next? Didn't even think to do it.
1: Well, you you did better than me. I would have give, you know been giving out Bill Gates's cell number at that point. You know, <laughs> whatever it took.
2: You know, come to think of it, I could probably find Bill Gates' cell number. <laughs> That's scary.
0: So we all want to know what it's like. You know, you've you've drank the Kool Aid. You've gone over to the other side. You know, what's it <laughs> what's it like coming from, you know, development or to uh, Microsoft?
2: Well, actually, the interesting part about uh, working at, at uh, Developmentor, I actually wrote an essay about the internals of Developmentor uh, one time, because it was really, it was run by two guys who uh, owned the company 50-50, and they really ran both of their halves very differently. Um, the technical side was was uh, run kind of very much like a meritocracy. It was very much technically, you know, you'd throw your ideas out there and people would pound them into submission, and, you know, you kind of... Develop calluses around your brain and the ability to (laughs) communicate. Right. Right? Or you died. Yeah. Right? I mean, it was survival of the fittest. Whereas uh, the business side of the company was very much hierarchical, chain of command, you know, oh, you know, this person's responsible for that, and, you know, that's just how that part of the company worked. And, you know, going to a giant company, in fact, I've worked at a giant company. I worked at uh, Intel, which is very much hierarchical. Uh, hierarchical, um, chain of command, kind of you do your little part, and it's your boss's job, hopefully, to know more than you, and so on all the way up the chain. And certainly Microsoft has that. And, um, you know, if uh, Bill is like level one of that organization, right? He is yeah. the top guy. And I'm uh, nine. And there's <laughs> like uh, 50,000 people right, at Microsoft, and I'm just, you know, I'm at the bottom.
0: But, you know, if I was Bill, and I like to program, and I know he likes to, you know, he likes code, obviously, I'd want to hang out with guys like you rather than guys like, you know,
2: know, Steve Ballmer. I've been there for a month. He's never called. (laughs) He's never emailed. I'd be happy. You know, but on the other hand, to be fair, I haven't given him the opportunity, right? I didn't say, hey, you know, I'm new here. You want to hang out? Yeah, maybe he's
0: waiting for your invitation. Maybe that's it. Maybe maybe he's just shy. Could but the be. thing
2: that's interesting about, about Microsoft is there is that hierarchy, um, but uh, it's really the meritocracy is very strong there, too. Right. It's very much, um, you know, what can you think of that day that sounds cool? And sometimes you got to be careful, because, you know, you wander into your boss's office and you go, oh, I had this great idea, we should really do this and this and this and this other thing, and he looks at you and he says, great, you know, when can we have it? <laughs> Right. Well, so, Schedule by tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, it's it's great because that means that you know, if you think big and you have good ideas and you know, you can express them well and you can convince people that those are good ideas and those are things that should be done, people will you know, they'll respond. They'll they'll volunteer. They'll get a room on their on their you know time off and and help you to achieve those things.
1: That's very cool.
2: It is very cool. It's enormously cool.
1: Absolutely. It certainly sounds like you're having fun, Chris. Yeah,
2: I am. My, my, my month there has been very rich.
1: What uh, team are you actually on, and what is your
3: title there?
2: So I am um, yet another uh, program manager at Microsoft, yet another PM, the guys that you see swarming around the conferences, the only ones that ever actually kind of stick their nose out in public generally. And those are the ones with the most responsibility and the least authority. Um. And officially, I am kind of a s- subgroup of uh, program manager, which is the content strategist. And uh, I work on MSDN. I'm, uh, you know, that that part of MSDN where you go. Well, you can go to MSDN.com, or you know, that part right. is my group. There's about a hundred people there. Great. And, and I'm at the bottom of that group too.
0: So what's that like? Um, that that site and working on that site from the inside out.
2: Well, it's interesting because, you know, I've had my own little site and all the little things that I wanted to do on my site, and I could go and implement those features. And even implementing those features on my little tiny site, you know, sometimes I've had to have help, contractors, artists, you know, and I've had to do all that myself to make it work the way I want it to work. Now, you know, and again, my site was at, you know, the bottom of popularity. Microsoft's site is like in the top three or four in terms of popularity on the web. I mean, it's just insane. yeah. So the infrastructure that they have to have to keep that site up and running all the time. I mean, they have oh, it's Unix, right? People. No I'm
3: kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's Unix, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. SCO,
2: yeah. No, it's well, yeah, right. We, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we're, it's all uh, well. That's the other thing too. I mean, it's all eat our own dog food, right? Absolutely. I mean, they're yeah. in the middle of a of a big. Uh, my understanding is they're in the middle of a big upgrade to to make the whole thing run
0: in .NET one. Right. That's, that's incredible. The reason that I'm laughing there is, uh, oh, there's been some stuff in the press about Microsoft licensing SEO for some stuff, and, and it's no, uh, you hear all the conspiracy theories. It just makes common sense. you know. They're just anteing up like everyone else. They're paying their dues. you know. They're using it. They're licensing it. Good. Let them pay for it. What's the problem here?
2: Well the problem is of course nobody else wants to. And so when <laughs> we do it just makes
0: Yeah, I know sense. it's I know. Yeah yeah you you must you must be getting the sense now that you know you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. I I've I've realized that um you know watching watching the mud fly and uh watching Microsoft uh um you know support their positions and things. It's very easy to have the you know, oh, they're the big dog, they must come down attitude. but uh, And so many people have it that it must just get tiring.
2: Well, you know, I, I, I certainly, um, you know, on the outside, made my uh, share of probably more than my share of Microsoft practices. Um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we certainly uh, have a PR issue in terms of how we come across to our customers, unfortunately. But, and, and so, you know, when I went inside, I expected to find all of these people sitting around right trying to figure out how to gouge money out of their customers i know we'll we'll, you (laughs) know know, we'll license it this way and make them stand on their left knee and howl at the moon before we give them the upgrade yeah but that's not what happens at all i mean there's there's just you know tens of thousands of people tens of thousands of people sitting around saying what can we do to work with our customer better how do we make them more happy how do we How do we make them like us?
0: Yeah, that's a big problem. Uh, Listen, I got an instant messenger from a guy who's sort of been interested in .NET, but not taking the plunge, the full plunge. And therefore, he doesn't really understand a lot of things, even though I've explained it to him numerous times. And so he says, hey, I see Borland is coming out with their own C-sharp development environment. He says, does that spell the beginning of the end for Microsoft? And I said, what? Who's eating mushrooms.
1: or <laughs> something? I give me a break. Are you
0: kidding? That's great for Microsoft. Why, why do you foresee that as being a problem?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's more and more third parties uh, you know, uh, build .NET-based products. Yeah. That just that's great. That's a whole utility exactly. of .NET.
0: And, yeah, and I actually
1: it, just heard today that uh, PowerSofts, uh, or actually Sybase owns it now, but PowerBuilder is making PowerScript a .NET pluggable. That's language. great.
2: It makes sense. I mean, that's the way the industry's going.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I just couldn't believe that. And I. And then he goes, ha-ha, I was joking. You know, it's like, no, you weren't. You have no clue. Let me explain it to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's thinking that since Bor- if Borland can make a better C-sharp than Microsoft, then why do we need Microsoft? And I'm thinking, you know, you just don't get it.
2: Well, I hope Borland does make a better C-sharp than Microsoft. Absolutely. Too. Nothing... Uh, is better for customers than competition.
0: That's right. It'll keep Microsoft on their toes, but at the end of the day, they're still running a Windows app against the .NET framework. And that's goodness. That's good.
1: That's right. Still running on a Windows operating system.
0: Or what is it called now, Chris, actually? Can we call it the .NET framework still? Or
1: it's Yeah. The, oh, it's definitely the .NET framework.
0: Okay. The Windows .NET framework, maybe?
2: Oh, geez. I don't know. I don't think so, but maybe.
0: <laughs> okay. We'll check back in a couple of months and see what happens.
2: <laughs> I think it's... Windows Server two thousand and three and and the Microsoft.net framework.
3: Okay. Good enough.
2: But you know, I'm not I'm not the marketing guy.
0: And we're we're not talking about Longhorn tonight, right?
2: Well, we can say that uh, it's cool.
0: It's very cool. We've we've talked about it a little bit with here and there, you know, some of the things that we've heard about it. Um
2: well, I can say, uh, for two some
1: things people about that Longhorn. don't know, uh, what what is Longhorn? What's that, Mark? I, I said, for some people that don't know, what is Longhorn? That's a good thing to start with. So,
2: Longhorn is the codename for the next operating system from Microsoft.
1: And this isn't just a server.
0: This is going to be client, server, whatever, right?
2: Uh, it's the next version. And next version. Microsoft goes back and forth between server and client OS's. So okay. They just shipped a server one.
0: Okay. Uh, that makes sense. That makes sense.
2: So, so besides what it is i can say two things of substance about longhorn uh number one is i saw about 2 weeks before my interview at microsoft i saw i spent 2 days doing like a kind of insiders preview of it and i so fell in love and i was skeptical right another operating system we you know i love the ones we have why do we need new ones um and i so fell in love with it in that 2 days that i was you know begging for the job when they offered it to me cool to come and do the longhorn dead center I mean, they cool. gave me a long list of jobs that i could come and take and that was the one hands down i wanted just so i could you know do stuff with it because that was that cool and you know i've been doing window stuff for a while now and i like to think i have a i'm an above average resistance to just plain old cool and this yeah one, wow. i would agree wow okay so and then the. so other this thing is the bomb you say, said <laughs> is um besides the fact that Longhorn made me you know want to sell my soul to come to work for Microsoft?
3: <laughs>
0: oh man!
2: Is to um everyone should go to the PDC. Okay. That'll be the first public glimpse of of Longhorn.
0: The Professional Developers Conference. The That's Professional
2: gonna... Developers Conference in Los Angeles on October twenty seventh. Okay. Actually, the, starts on the twenty sixth Sunday.
0: Great, Chris. Um, I have your excellent book, uh, Essential Essential dot net. That you and Don Box wrote.
2: First and foremost, Don wrote every single word in that book. Oh. I didn't write any of it.
0: Well, then what's your name on it for?
2: Uh, My name on it is because I was his first trusted pair of eyes.
0: Uh Aha. And
2: uh, in many cases, but even before he would write something, we would brainstorm about the story and the right way to approach the topic.
0: Oh, okay. But he did most of the writing. But still, it was a collaboration. 100% of the writing. But it was a collaboration.
2: My little red pen in the margins.
0: All right. But it was a collaboration content-wise, you would say?
2: It was definitely a collaboration. It was, um, I, I, like I said, I was, you know, chief technical editor once he'd written something, and many times I, I read the chapter and commented on it two, three times before anyone else saw it.
3: That's
0: and very we cool. we would go
2: round and round to perfect it in terms of what we thought was right before we even sent it to a single.
0: Well, director. let me just tell you that uh, and tell the listeners here that even if you're a VBNet programmer... Um, and you don't and you know you can read c-sharp this is definitely a good book to have i mean i it's it is essential and you know if you want to know what's really going on if you want to understand the computer science behind um uh, .NET framework and, and why it does what it does and how it does it so well you ought to get this book um nothing will take the mystery out of the .NET framework like this book it is in- f- incredible
1: wow you know i haven't seen the book yet so uh is this about the .NET framework, or is it about the internals of the common language runtime, or all of the above?
2: Well, the framework is really, you know, the common language runtime and the libraries and the compilers, right? So so this book is very much about the common language runtime. Yep. And it's, as well as, you know, the libraries that are important to, you know, when you're discussing
0: that topic. Right. It's very good. Very good conceptual models. Very good, clear text, interesting, great. Yeah, I particularly like <clears throat> I particularly like the first few chapters. You know where he's talking about, um, uh, you know, what an app domain is and what a thread is, and you know, and how uh, how that all works. Don I got a lot out of that.
2: A master of building up from the atoms. Yeah, he really does well. Yep. And the other thing that's great about Don's book, I mean. uh, it's one of those books you can pick up and just read again and again and and gain new insight and right. gain more knowledge about the framework. Yeah, And, and he's really, I mean, this, this is the, uh, he did the same thing with Essential Calm, which is a classic still to this day. And uh, just, you know, as, as short as a t- couple years ago, I was trapped in a hotel room with nothing to do and a copy of Don's book, and I started flipping through Essential Calm, just looking something up. And I found myself reading it again, just for the pleasure of it. And I really feel that what Don produced this time is definitely on that same caliber.
0: And we'll get back to Chris Sells in just a minute. In the meantime, I want to share with you a few letters that we got by email. Uh, Brian Schorer from Anheuser-Busch says... After I discovered .NET Rocks, I listened to all 25 shows in about a week and a half. Now I'm suffering withdrawal pains waiting for a new episode. All right, Brian. Thanks a lot. And uh, we also got some shout-outs here for uh, Ibrahim Mohammed and his crew out there in Nigeria. How you doing, Ibrahim? We told you we'd uh, make you famous, and now you are. We also have a couple more shouts. Parag from India. AJ from New Zealand and Mark from Century Color Labs, thanks for writing to us. And uh, this is a nice, interesting email we got made our day. Toby Tellier from Sierra Systems said, Thanks, Carl and Mark, for putting such a great show together. A couple of weeks ago, I organized a lunch hour broadcast of the .NET Rock Show on Microsoft Application Blocks at my company. We hooked up a laptop with speakers and gathered round to eat our lunch and tune in. It was well attended, and the topic was of particular interest to us and quite timely. The great thing about the broadcast was that it sparked some great discussion. Thanks again. All right. Thank you, Toby. We'll keep making them if you keep listening. And, you know, you can read more kudos that we got from our fans at uh, www.franklins.net slash .netrocks.asp. Go to the the left-hand side of the page and you'll see a, uh, a raves or a kudos page link right there. Now let's get back to our talk with Chris Sells about his book and Don's book and what he's working on these days, right here on .NET Rocks. Don't you go away. Let me ask you this. Have you um, done any coding recently that you're especially proud of?
2: Oh sure. Well, I mean, I just f- wrapped up um, uh, the Windows Forms book. All right. And uh, I did a bunch of stuff there. One of the the m- most fun things was um, uh, this was very recent, towards the end of the book, based on some uh, reader feedback, was making um, the printer margin stuff actually make sense. Huh? Because the the printer margin stuff in WinForms. You know, if I say I want a, a page margin of zero and, a, and a, or a page bound of, of zero all the way around and a printer margin of, say, an inch, what's, that's actually going to be variable based on um, you know the physical properties of the printer because the print head can only go so close to the edge of the paper.
3: Oh, yeah, right. And I'm,
2: on a my printer, it was like a quarter inch on one side and an eighth of an inch on another side. But as far as you're concerned, you know, the print property says an inch – the um, the whole thing is kind of off by that physical amount, right? So you know, if if you say I want a page bound of zero, you're actually getting a page bound of a quarter inch on the left and an eighth of an inch on the right.
0: And can you get those metrics from the settings? Or
2: you cannot get the actually WinForms doesn't uh, provide a way in both in either one O or one one. To know what the physical characteristics of the printer are so you can do those offsets properly.
0: Does the Windows API allow you to do the that? The Windows
2: API does.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. And
2: so what I did was I wrote a couple of helper functions that will give you the appro- the adjusted appropriate page bounds and and uh, margin bounds. Cool. And say, it's an inch, by God, I want an inch. Right. right. Excellent. And it, it will adjust itself properly. And You're so that's one code to write.
0: you demand. the man. <laughs> That's great.
1: Yeah, You know, I used to, uh, to work on a reporting engine for uh, a company called Tapscan that wrote radio software. And, you know, that was always a challenging thing to do because there was nothing written about doing printing. So I'm really glad to see some .NET books coming out that cover printing.
2: Actually, the, this book was the first time I'd ever really spent any time doing printing or graphics work of any kind. So hmm. I was just going nuts, so learning stuff. It was great. That's it cool. was So much fun.
1: Keeping it yeah, fresh. Yeah, the, the print preview is awesome in .NET.
2: The, there was one other piece of code that I wrote even more recently than the printer margin stuff. Uh, if you're interested. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, ever since I started doing the you know the smart client html no-touch deployment stuff.
0: Yeah, we love it.
2: Um, people have been like, I'm their poster child. So whenever they run into problems, I hear about it, and that's fine. Um, but uh, you know, like half of the emails were, how do I do command line arguments to my WinForms, you know, no-touch deployment applications? And you would think you could just bundle the arguments into the URL, and then you know somehow magically get them out again and it turns mm-hmm. out to be fairly complicated especially if you want to do it in a 10 and 11 compliant way to get those arguments out of there in you know the rest- the restricted security environment you've got
0: that's an interesting problem
2: so i built a little wrapper class that does that work for you and you can just you know you can just say give me the arguments and it'll either give you if you're no touch deployment it'll peel them out of the url for you or if you're not It'll just give you back the main arguments, and you, so you don't have to care where the arguments came from, right? Did somebody double-click on me in the shell? Did somebody launch me? I don't really care as an app writer. I just want the arguments, right? So I wrote some code to do that, but then, you know, again, in that partially trusted environment, you know, the URL is all encoded, right? right? Instead of space, you're going to get percent two zero,
0: Right. So you have to decode it.
2: Right, so you have to decode it, and there's all kinds of there's in fact at least two classes to do that in .NET. But in a partially trusted environment, you're not allowed to use either of them. Ooh. So I had to go into the .NET framework and pull out and reverse engineer the code, um, and and put package it in my class so it would properly decode <clears throat> the URL for you. Because of course you don't want the, the the encoded URL. That's worthless.
0: Now this this sounds like a good uh, place to talk about the assembly linker. Because I've been I've been messing around with that quite a bit, and I really love it. I really love the idea that I can take that module in C sharp and that one in VB, and uh, just use the th- the code that I want and put it all into one big XE. Can you do that with framework modules as well, or do you have to actually have the source to compile a module?
2: So, uh, so with the so tell me this: you can so you have been taking multiple assemblies and putting them all into one big XE?
0: No, no, not not. Not the way you're thinking. Just if I need a routine out of this DLL, and uh, you know, let's say it's in C sharp, and I have my XEs in VB, I don't want to distribute the entire DLL. I just want to take that routine, compile it as a module, and link it into my EXE.
2: So you've been like uh, decompiling to get the IL?
0: No, I had the I have the source. Oh, okay. Yeah, but my question is, you know, can you? Is there are there modules available? you know, at the module, at the .NET module extension level, that you can link in these framework components?
2: So I don't, I, the last time I dug through this, there was only like one or two multi-module assemblies in all of .NET. Wow. I mean, mostly it's just per assembly. Right. And, you know, most of .NET is just built in C Sharp anyway, and mostly multi-module assemblies are about, logically I have a single assembly, it's just, physically it's in two different files and the reason i do that is because i that's the only way to have multi-language assemblies right right there's not really that need in dot net
0: right but the cool thing that i'm talking about with the assembly linker is that i can actually put them all together in one you know where they would but not be insepar- in
2: one not in one binary
0: in one exe yeah yeah
2: mm-hmm. Okay, so have you experimented with what happens when you take away that DLL?
0: Uh, no.
2: Yeah, see, it's not one EXE. Okay. You you are in fact building one.
0: But you still need uh, the metadata from another.
2: Well, as all the code, everything, is still lives in those DLLs. They happen okay. to just be modules. Ah. So you're kind of like linking in they all, they all are part of one logical assembly they just happen to be stored in multiple files in right. files
0: so and that's why we call them assemblies
2: multi-module yeah. assemblies right exactly right. most assemblies and in fact you know what all of what vs.net supports are single module assemblies right but .net itself supports multi-module assemblies with, with the assembly linker as right. you have discovered yeah but what you won't get is you know pulling out a module from here and shoving it into this other EXE. I mean, it, the file still needs to be there. Okay.
1: Well, that's interesting. Right. I think you just answered this, Chris, but I, I, I think you said when I would need to use this is if I've got modules that are written in different languages, but I want them to appear as one assembly. Right.
2: Well, so the reason, the, the reason to do that is mostly a matter of, gosh, I've got this one routine over here that I only want, you know, I want to make it uh, internal. Right, I don't want the world to have access to it. I just want it to be, you know, other hunks of code in my assembly. But this routine is internal and is in VB, and this routine is internal and it's in C Sharp. Right. And I want them to be able to talk to each other. How do I do that? Yeah. And the only yeah. way to do that right now in .NET is multi-module assembly.
0: Well, you use the assembly linker.
2: Yeah. yeah. And as you know, as it turns out, that's a fairly rare requirement. Yeah.
1: Which
2: right. is why the tools don't support it directly, or at least the you know the GUI tool.
1: Right. I've actually taught a class where we, we did that. We wrote something in C-sharp, something in VB, and we used the, the linker to tie them together into one assembly. But it was basically just kind of a demo of, hey, if you want to do this, this is how you do it.
2: Right. But in general, you know, what, what happens is you have one assembly that's written in VB, but who cares because it exposes a bunch of you know, public types. With public methods, right, and then so you, you can just, just use those from wherever, yeah. and you don't have to. That's true.
0: You're not. Time. It's not like you need to save disk space, right? <clears throat> so yeah, we're past that, luckily. And what do you? Let me ask you this: <laughs> What do you think of the Global Assembly Cache? And you know, that sounds like a flip question, but you know, let me tell you what my what my ideas are here. In the past, when we were putting our application settings in any files, Microsoft came out with the registry. That they were using for their own internal purposes. And they told us, hey, don't save your settings in any files, save them in the registry. And we said, okay. And we put them in the registry. And then, you know, somewhere along the line, we had to reinstall Windows. (laughs) And all our settings went. Away, but the but the reason for, and we I said, mean, well, why shouldn't re- why shouldn't we have them in any files? And they, oh, only wussies put them put settings in any files. The registry <laughs> is where it's at.
2: But but the reason to use the, prefer the registry. I, I wrote a whole chapter on this in my book. Okay. So the reason to prefer, I mean, this is all historical, and I was there right, 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 when it happened. Right, right. So
0: that's why I'm interested in your perspective. Sure. So
2: any files were great because they were a simple read write store of settings. But they were, that was you know Windows 3.1. We only had one user. Yes. And uh, com came along, and it needed this kind of, and the shell, needed this global idea right. of things.
0: That's where the registry is good.
2: Right, and that's where the registr- why the registry was invented. And right. then, you know, as soon as this idea of global idea of things happened, well, we, we decided, well, gosh, we kind of want per-user ideas of things. Okay. And as soon as per-user per user came along, then we say, oh, yeah, and, you know, we can put settings in there. Right. So you can just logically say, whoever the current user is, I don't know, but whoever they are... These are their settings for this app. Yeah. And all the multi-user stuff just happens in by the registry APIs. You don't have to do anything explicit. Okay. In any files, you very much did. That's true.
0: Okay, that's true. However, you know, I guess there are pros and cons. And, and the thing is that I'm, the, I guess my point is that we started out with the registry being a tool for com, and then Microsoft saying, hey, you know, this is something that people might want to use. And people just, like, abandoned, you know, saving private, settings in, in files that they had control over and lost some control and gave up some control for that. And and what I'm saying is with the global assembly cache, you know, it seems like this was a good idea if you're Microsoft building the .NET framework, uh, you know, where you need to have shared uh, assemblies. And so what are the reasons, you know, that and what you give up by using the global assembly cache for your own components is you give up control and you give up the ability to to upgrade and uh, you know provide new versions and you know you get to become a little in, more inflexible. Um, and what you gain is you know the global sort of ubiquitous thing. Okay, so uh, so, me, so that's let, my que- that's my take on it. Okay. What do you think?
2: Okay, so. First, I have to start by saying I'm not in any way endorsing the registry. Okay. Re- right. The registry was a step up from any files because of the multi-user nature.
0: For that okay. purpose, yeah. Yes.
2: But now, um, the problem with the registry is uh, that you know lots of different kinds of apps don't have uh, access to it, and it makes impactful yes. installations, which, you know, as soon as you throw something in the registry you you dependent on it. Yeah. Right? And uninstalls are bad when you want X copy deployment.
1: Yeah, it's tough to move it from one machine to another. Yeah. Right.
2: I mean, it's just, you know, it's a bad idea. So avoiding the registry is goodness. And, you know, .NET has a whole architecture for user settings called isolated storage. And
0: I'm not at all, you know, comparing the global setting cache of the registry.
2: Well, actually, I think that's a fair fair comparison. And, And in the same way that you should avoid the registry... You should also avoid the global assembly cache. The global assembly cache is for operating system level components. Thank you. If your component is part of the operating system, then put it in there. Right. But in general, we're way beyond the point where we have to worry about conserving disk space. I'm so
0: glad to hear you say that because, you know, I hear so many people talk at user groups and sessions and articles and stuff on the wonders of the Global Assembly Cache. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, these people just aren't thinking. They're not thinking. Uh, well,
1: hold on now. What if we have to write a ComPlus component that that lives inside of ComPlus? Do you not have to install that component in the GAC to get all that to work?
2: I don't believe so. No, you, you don't. don't. don't have to install... Um, you know, a .NET component into the Global Assembly cache for COM as it makes a whole.
0: A com, it makes a COM wrapper, but it uh, doesn't go
1: in the GAC.
2: Well, no, I'm saying to...
1: for it to run inside the COM Plus environment, to register it in a COM Plus application.
2: So so now, uh, you know, this is where we really need, you know, Tim Ewald on the phone.
0: Yeah, you don't have to create something in the GAC. You can you can test it yourself by making a COM plus component, doing an auto you know install, uh, just by instantiating it and go look in the global assembly cache. There's nothing in there that uh, specifically is that wrapper, but a COM wrapper is made.
2: Well, even so, even if you do, there's a command line tool, and I forget what it's called, but yes. you can say, okay, let COM clients create instances of this. .NET component before .NET clients do, um, you know, and, as the interop. And there's a little uh, ut- uh, command line utility, and uh, I don't believe it needs to be in the GAC for that either. In fact, I'm, I'm very sure I've run experiments where, it you know, it doesn't need to be because essentially it's it's doing several steps, one of which is a, a regasm call, and you can pass a code base to that, which just says, you know, put the the hard-coded path to this .NET component into the registry so that when COM calls co instance, it can find it, as opposed to making .NET bootstrap and look in the global assembly cache. Yeah, it
0: makes
1: sense. Right, I'll, I'll have to try it. Every time I've, I've done something with COM+, I've always stuck it in the GAC. And, you certainly you know, it can, just...
2: and that'll help the assembly resolver.
1: Right, I've actually that lets had it trouble. find it very easily.
0: I've had sh- actually had trouble when I put something in the GAC and try to use it in COM+. I've had I've had problems there. Oh, what kind of problems did you have? I can't remember now, but I, it was a problem where where it wouldn't activate or um or something. It was some something, I can't remember. Well,
2: now. I think the basic problem there, Carl, is that computers sense fear. <laughs> so any kind of uncertainty at all, you know, will definitely definitely come out.
0: That's true. Yeah.
1: Well that, I mean, that's you, certainly you, know, uh, you, you know, good info for me. I uh I, I want to play around with that because uh you know as I experiment with COM plus, I uh I just naturally put something in the GAC before I, I register it in COM plus.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know COM is really about a global registry, right? And uh right. .net is very much not, right? It's very optional and in fact discouraged, actively discouraged. Um, I could
0: tell you one thing that's very cool is just how the the CLR locates an assembly, starting with the GAC, and this is a, actually a question that Mark and I have have had uh, some arguments over—not arguments, but we're well,
1: debates. Debates we're talking about probing, right? Yeah,
0: we're talking about probing and how the CLR will locate an assembly. Now, the the documentation says that it looks in the GAC first, and Mark said he's done some experiments where that's not the case. If you have the same DLL locally and that is as in the GAC, it's going to load the local version first. Can Maybe you can put that to rest for us. Hey, we'll get back to Chris in a minute. I want to find out what his answer is. But first, I want to play a little tune, all right? It goes like this. So I got an email today from Don Awalt, who uh, pointed me to a site on got.net.com, where Microsoft is announcing a a free suite of power toys for Visual Studio.net 2003, and you can't get to it from the main page. I guarantee you're interested in this. Check it out. VSTweak allows you to modify some of the more obscure Visual Studio options and settings. With VSTweak, you can gain access to advanced dynamic help settings, importing and exporting custom keyboard mapping schemes, making Visual Studio.net recognize custom file extensions, the ability to edit and clear most recently used file and project lists, and the ability to view and edit command window aliases. Also, VS Edit, which is like a little editor, so you don't have to load a file or a set of files into Visual Studio just by double clicking on them. So, no more extra windows opening, just pure editing bliss, according to this site. Then there's also my favorite, the VB Commenter. Adding comments to your Visual Basic source code has never been easier. After installing this power toy, you can type quote uh, single quote double quote followed by enter" in the Vb code editor, and the appropriate XML style comment tags will appear. You can even create an XML file of all com- of all comments you can even create an XML file of all comments in a given class library ready to use with a custom help builder power toy. What is that you say well that allows you to create a custom help collection for your XML-style commented VB or C-sharp class libraries. Your custom help will be fully integrated into Visual Studio.net 2003, so your topics will be accessible from Dynamic Help, F1, Search, Help Index, and Help Comments. And if that wasn't enough, ladies and gentlemen, it's all free. Now, what's the URL. www.got.net.com slash team slash IDE. All right, I'm going to take you out now.
2: Every experiment I've ever done and shows the exact opposite. That yeah. it absolutely does look in the gag.
0: But in now you've you want to sit
2: down and write the code. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how you learn things, right? You start, I mean, uh, the, the way uh, Don and I figured out how the stuff in his, his book works is we sat down and we started doing it. Right. Because his book sprang from a course he was writing uh, for Developmental at the time. And, uh, you know, that's how we learn stuff at Developmentor. We, we, you know, we don't have access to the the source code or the internal documents that Microsoft was providing. So we sat down and we started playing with it and see what happens. Yeah. Well, experiments that I remember, and this is part of student labs in the Developmentor courses, is, you know, it picks stuff from the GAC first.
0: Well, it's actually pretty cool how it does that. It gets all the information from the assembly. And I can imagine if I was writing that part of the CLR... I would just parse together a big long file path from the Windows directory .NET version, uh, you know GAC.
2: But that doesn't work because the GAC isn't one directory. No, 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 no. It, but but then from but there you get the Windows and system aren't in the path for but, the for the assembly resolver anyway.
0: Okay, but then wouldn't you wouldn't you be able to find it from there? Wouldn't you be able to find it from, you know, the .NET version and then the the GAC? Oh, I'm sorry, Windows Assembly. I'm sorry. Windows. So, so what the assembly, assembly resolver does, is GAC, all it has blah, 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 I mean blah. it's got
2: a four part name. Right. right. It's got the 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 assembly name itself, which is no path name and not even an extension. Right. Right? And it's got the version number and it's got and the And a
0: public um, key token.
2: The yeah, the token hash and it's got the culture information. Right. And it just looks where it's gonna look first by file name, and when it finds that, it starts looking at you know, whether it's been signed, whether right, right. doing version stuff.
0: That's what I was trying to say, Chris. I was trying to say that it just says, is that file there? Boom. You know, one operating system called. Does the file exist? And and that is a very efficient operation versus, you know, trudging through the registry a couple of times looking for GUIDs and all the stuff that COM does to load an co- object.
2: Yeah, well, the registry up. does get a lot of flack for being a major bottleneck in the system. And it's hard to argue that. I mean... Um, you know, the, what is that wonderful site, uh, sysinternals.com, which has all of those, like the the, the registry, uh, some registry tools that will tell you. I don't know if you guys have ever run this, but you can run a little tool that will tell you all of the registry calls. And just looking at the sheer number yeah. of calls into the registry, just to start, you know, Notepad, <laughs> it's
1: just frightening. <laughs>
0: You wonder what they were smoking when they were coming up. Let's make yeah. this as complex as possible.
1: Yeah, I was actually sitting here struggling, trying to remember what we did that made me think that it called the local one instead of the. You one might have in the had GAC. like some
2: version incompatibilities, right? So it found it in the GAC, but it wasn't the right version.
1: Well, we uh, in in class, this came up. Somebody asked this question, and I was telling Carl about it after we we did an experiment. So we wound up uh, making a DLL. That we put a string in, and compiled it with a version number, strong named it, and stuck that in the GAC. Then we uh, changed the name of the constant uh, that was retrievable with a property, and we uh, <clears throat> we compiled it again and put a local copy, uh, you know, in the in the same bin directory with uh, with the app. And uh, when we ran the app, it pulled the constant from the local copy.
2: Now, were you signing these things or not?
1: Uh, we weren't. I, what do you mean by signing? Do you mean making a strong name key? Were we strong yeah. naming it?
2: Yeah, and you know, uh, put it. Yeah, so they key they file. were both
1: strong named with the same key.
2: So they were b- both signed.
1: Yeah, they were both times.
2: Interesting, because I've done the exact same experiment except for what I did was I just used the the app base for the assembly to figure out where in the file system net was finding it.
1: Well, we would also been playing around with config files and setting binding through a config file. So we we may have done something there that that caused me to to think that it was probing, uh, in the local bin directory before the GAC. I mean, is that possible that you could set something in the in the config file for for a, an app? Oh, absolutely. Would... Yeah, binding redirect. Well, we may have an explanation then, uh, because that it's entirely possible that, that that's what caused it to happen. But no, the reason Carl and I were debating it is I took that as irrefutable proof that it was <laughs> probing the bin directory first. Yeah. The, yeah, the
2: reason... I mean, the config file is the master. Well, it that makes all. sense,
0: because you can redirect the binding from one shared version to another in the config file. So that yeah, makes and total th- sense. I mean,
2: But that's the whole... I mean, that goes to the core of the versioning philosophy right. of .NET, which sure. said, you know, in the old days, in DLL days, we left it to the vendors to decide you know, that they were bug-for-bug bug compatible with the old DLL and therefore could, you know, leave the same right. name and put it in the same place. Well, that was before that, the And that caused all sharing. kinds of problems. Yeah. And then in COM, we just said, oh, we don't have versions. <clears throat> if you're implementing the same interface for the same class ID, it must be the same. Right. And, of course, we left it to the vendor again. And <laughs> what they learned from that after two times of, of you know, trying to trust the vendor, of which they were a major vendor themselves, building incompatible DLLs is that the version has to be a first-class citizen, and not only that, but it's only the application slash administrator, application developer slash administrator that can really decide for this app what versions of what components are really loaded.
0: Hey, let me ask you this: what is what is it? What does it mean to have a version policy that is set up? Is that just a config file setting, or is there an actual policy about a publisher
2: policy? Yeah. So publisher policy is a is a is a shortcut in the whole uh, version resolution where the publisher themselves can unless you turn it off in the config file it's on by default where the publisher can publish a new version of the component and then they can publish a uh, like a config file that they bundle into a, a DLL essentially and they can put that in the GAC so Ooh. you know when when your app is binding against one one the publisher can, can put a little config file into a DLL and put that in the GAC and say, no, no, one, two, we promise, is fine. And by default, that will work. That's called okay. the publisher policy.
0: Okay, very cool. But uh,
2: in the config file, if you don't trust publishers, uh, vendors of third-party components, you can turn that off. Nice. It's just a big Frankenstein switch. <laughs> Which
1: so have is somewhat very coarse-grained,
2: important. but does its job.
1: I have a very important question for you, Chris. All right. What did you think about the Matrix Reloaded?
2: <laughs> so to tell you that story, I have to tell you this one. <laughs> okay. Um, Wait, does so, this
0: involve you naked with a laptop? Because no, no, <laughs> no. I don't want to hear that story, man. All right. So
2: in 1999, I had just moved into my new house, and we had this wonderful family room you know, with a fireplace and couches and no real entertainment system of any kind. And then my wife um, bought me a DVD player for Father's Day. And, um, well, you know, you can't really have a DVD player without some kind of a sound system. And along with the DVD player, she also got me The Matrix, which was really, you know, the DVD that made DVDs. Right? I mean, it was the first DVD to hit a million copies. So, you know, you can't really have a DVD player and the Matrix without the sound system to go along with it because the sound is so amazing in the Matrix. So I had to go and, you know, spend several thousand dollars on the sound system, but you can't really have the sound system without the surround (laughs) sound speakers. (laughs) speakers. So that's another couple of thousand dollars to get all the right stuff and have it wired um, and hidden in the ceiling and all that. And then, but there's nowhere to really put... The um, the sound system. um, (laughs) Oh no! Unless you have shelves all set up, built in, looks nice with the rest of the house, and you can't just put it on the one half of the room. You have to really balance the room and put it on both. So the
0: bulldozer showed up and knocked out (laughs) the wall, and
2: (laughs) so five thousand dollars later. Oh my god! I'm watching, you know, a 1995 CD. You
0: could just bought a ticket to the movie theater for ten bucks.
2: Yeah, well, you could have bought the movie theater, uh, you know. And in fact. You know, when The Matrix first came out, I happened to be at a developmental event in Los Angeles on opening night after 10 o'clock. When we, had, we had been teaching, and we didn't know a thing about it. We hadn't seen the previews. We wandered in the opening night in Los Angeles to The Matrix. Wow. And it was like walking into, you know, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. People right. were shouting, right. you know, at the, at the audience, you know, when Neil was handed the option, right? Do you want the red pill or the blue pill? Somebody in the back of the audience was like, take the red pill. <laughs> I mean, it was it was just a party. We loved it so much. We went back the next night, and you know it became an indelible part of the Windows developer culture. Now, so to say that I liked The Matrix was is somewhat of an understatement, right? I mean, the the, the, the not only was the action just jaw-droppingly amazing, but you know the idea, when when Neil woke up in his cocoon, it was like a bolt of lightning it was like oh my god right my whole my whole philosophy of life changed at that point which you know has happened to quite a few people right yeah. i mean in the intervening 4 years a bunch of people who you know were not very philosophical or spiritual in any way have suddenly taken up the ideas in this movie i mean these guys have tapped into a vein of of unrealized spiritualism in this whole country potentially the whole world i don't know
0: so, so, what did you think of the new
1: one?
2: So I liked it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so that we went from religious
1: <laughs> experience to yeah, it was okay. The yeah,
0: second story was a little short. <laughs> Maybe we could chop down the first story to a few words and w- all right. Uh, I have one more very important question for you. Um, you a vegetarian? I'm not. Okay, where's the best place? Size of me? Uh, Yeah, nobody could
2: give me my size and just eat vegetables.
0: Well, you know, a lot of refried beans, maybe I don't know. Um, (laughs) Where, (laughs) where's the best place in uh, Oregon to get a cheeseburger?
2: The best place in Oregon to get a cheeseburger.
0: Let's narrow it down to your town.
2: No, I understand (laughs) that. I'm trying. Oh, well, I'm just thinking of Portland, right? All of Oregon is that one little city on the on the northern border, between... Uh, with Washington. Um, so, uh, d- 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 you know what? I I don't, I can't, well, my house, frankly. Oh, I oh, got wow, a grill okay. on my back porch. <laughs> I make the best cheeseburgers in town. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, next time I'm in Oregon, I'm coming to your house.
2: Feel free. Yeah. Feel free. Yeah.
0: With my appetite. Well, Chris, man, y- this has been an incredible show. Is there any last minute, uh, anything that you want to uh, tell any- anybody?
2: Oh, I just want to say, I mean, if you're into wind forms Check out the new uh, release of Genghis, where at point four, and it like doubles in functionality every release.
0: And one yeah. more time, what is Gingus?
2: Gingus is a set of uh, shared source that has been kind of gathered together. It's mostly for adding application framework features, like the things that used to be in MFC right. that .NET forgot for building, you know, document centric applications. It's mostly for building those features back into applications but all my code for you know handling command line arguments with hrefx is in Gingus. great and, and just command line switch handling in general is in gingas and wizards and
3: and
0: i understand the price is right too
3: huh
2: oh yes, yeah, short source it's all there it's free help yourself do whatever you want with it you know if you make cool. money on it um as reshipping it uh, there's a separate license but in general you can just ship it and you know use it in your stuff and enjoy.
0: Well, i got to share this with you just before we uh, part here, that I spent a, a good amount of time honing a MIDI tool in VB.net that uh, calls the multimedia API to, to do MIDI output. Uh-huh. And uh, it also does filtering and transposing on the fly and routing. So it's a very cool thing. And uh, I just was looking for a killer app to go along with this. Sure. And I uh, have a daughter who's now 14 months old. And, uh, congratulations. Thank you. And, yeah, we haven't killed her yet, which is good.
2: Also, congratulations. Yeah.
0: And um, she's number two, actually. first one's <laughs> seven years old. She's beyond death now. so uh, <laughs> She survived. survived. Right. She survived. She survived. Anyway, I made this little bubble machine. So when uh, Clara get, comes up, it's a black screen. It's a Windows form that's full screen with no border, and it's a black background. And you move the mouse, and it makes random filled, shaded spheres, and plays a random note. Actually, not a random note. The notes are dependent on the Y coordinate. So they go up when the mouse goes up and down when the mouse goes down. And uh, nice bubbles on the screen. Also responds to keyboard. So she loves just whacking the keyboard and making bubbles. And she's absolutely fascinated by
2: it. That is a great app. There used to be something like that on the Apple II. Cool. Yeah, that I
1: would spend hours with.
0: You, personally?
1: Younger. Yeah, I was much younger.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Well, I feel good. so
1: bad. What what I did for my son when he was younger is I made a screen that had a, a Pikachu character that bounced around. Sure. And if he could click it with the mouse, I would make it explode. <laughs> and he, he got hours of fun out of that.
2: Sure. Well, so... <laughs> It's hard to segue back to this other topic after that, Mark. But, Carl, I mean, if you want to take your MIDI stuff and contribute it to Gingus, because there's love hardly to. any multimedia stuff.
0: Man, I'd love to.
2: So, you know, package it up, and we'll we'll get it into Gingus.
0: Absolutely. You got that's it. That's
2: exactly the kind of thing, right? It's very much, you know, application features that .NET forgot.
0: Cool. Well, I got a few more things at my belt, too.
2: By the way, I, I, I wanted, you know, when you first introduced me, right, you said we loved having him here last time. Yeah. You know, it's great to have him back. Um, have you ever, like, had a guest back where you didn't say that right away?
0: Uh, there's only been two. You and Bill Vaughn are right. the only two repeat guests so far. Oh, okay. So I really I really can't say that about Bill either. Oh. Um, <laughs> but uh, you had him back anyway. Yeah, no, no. I mean, what I mean is I can't say I'm not glad to have you back. Yeah, okay. Maybe I have too many negatives there, but um, no, I wouldn't say that to Bill. Uh, and we didn't. So there you go.
1: Well, right. I mean, if we if we didn't like you, we're not going to have you back. He right? really say, I mean, I mean uh, it would be really great to
2: open up with we had him here last time and he really we, sucked. We couldn't do <laughs> again. We don't couldn't get anyone else.
0: <laughs> Everybody he was else was busy. Cuz he's
2: not really doing anything and no one likes him. So we called him.
0: <laughs> we couldn't get a real guest. <laughs> <laughs> Oh okay. man, I'm gonna burn in hell. Alright man, I'll talk to you later. Yep, bye. You rock. Thanks,
3: Chris. Bye.